You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Thesis on Joan. I'm Megan, she, her. And I'm Holly, they, them, and I'm actually hitting record this time and not waiting 15 minutes into when we thought we were recording an intro. (laughs) Oh, Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ community and the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join fan queers and theater professionals Megan and I as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk, from Brooklyn cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape, and this podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. Hi, Megan. Hey, Holly. How's it going? All right. I wanted to start today's episode checking in with you about the kind of current ongoing controversy with Jagged Little Pill, the musical. There was an article released lately by Christian Lewis that we'll link to in our show notes outlining the issue that you could read. Um, but basically, the character Joe, played by Lauren Patton on Broadway, when the production was in Boston at ART, the character Joe was portrayed as non-binary. And now as they've moved to Broadway, they've taken out a lot of the references that made the character non-binary and kind of cis-washed it. And now it's supposed to be a cis character. And there's a lot of outrage from the trans community, the non-binary community about this erasure, which the production has made worse by issuing several statements saying like, oh, we never wrote Joe to be non-binary. And there was a, a vulture interview that everyone keeps talking about with Lauren. Patton where she mentioned that the character is cis. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like <laughs> put in ink there that that change had happened. Yeah. And I think what's most upsetting to me is that now the production, if you go back and read the article, there's pretty clear evidence that the character was written as non-binary from like tweets that Lauren Patton has posted as well as like mm-hmm. dialogue from the show pronoun usage, although pronouns don't indicate gender identity. And then there's a moment in the production that Joe's girlfriend misgenders them. And it's a whole, it leads up to, um, you want to know. So it's like this really like culminating moment. Right. So yeah. So now the creative team and the producers are basically like gaslighting everyone saying that Joe was never non-binary. So that's super upsetting. To say the least. Yeah. (laughs) And like they... 
they have so many opportunities now to like fix this while the production isn't happening. And especially because the understudy for Joe, Ezra, is a non-binary person. And uh, by some miracle, I happened to see the only night that Ezra performed Joe on Broadway. Like I had no intention of doing this, but I won the lottery that day for some reason. And my partner and I got to see Ezra perform. And so now I always thought about Joe as non-binary because I saw Ezra, who was incredible, by the way. Was it like a, a big queer party? Oh, like, did yeah. Did you notice that there was a queer? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Well, the person we were sitting in the – because the lottery seats were in booths was like, oh, are you here to see Ezra? And I'm like, oh, I know them on Instagram, but I didn't know <laughs> what was happening. And then I felt, I and then I felt bad. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm taking someone's seat who like – would appreciate this a lot more than me, but I really had no idea. But you appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. No, it was incredible. And I'm so glad I got to see them. But anyway, just want to say the producers of Jagged Little Pill, you could do so much better. Yeah. I feel like you're completely throwing Lauren Patton under the bus and saying like, which is terrible. Yeah. yeah. And like, not to say that she doesn't have things that she did wrong as well and needs to take accountability for, but like, the creators haven't owned up to any of this. They haven't responded to any of the like mm-hmm. proof <laughs> that a lot of people are offering and just by like continuously denying what this character was written as because they wanted to keep Lauren Patton because she was getting all these rave reviews because it's easier, right. you know, for Tony's to nominate someone who is cis <laughs> because what would they do with a non-binary person in actor categories? Could never solve that. Yeah. Sorry, I just went on a rant, but <laughs> No, no, no. This is what this is for. We're supposed to be ranting. I think what upsets me the most about it, and it's just like it it's almost more upsetting and feels more malicious that I think this stems, and this is all just my hearsay, and I also have not seen the show, so I need to make that clear. Um, <laughs> but I feel like this stems from not a conscious, we want to erase this identity, but like literally just not caring and realizing how destructive of a choice this could be and thinking about it as simple as like, well, let's change that characters actually came from California instead of Florida. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they're th- I feel like this was treated as a character detail. that's not like intrinsic to the care, to the identity and how the audience was connecting with the character. And so, like, I feel like the change wasn't made because they didn't want backlash because how could anyone handle a character with this identity? I really just think it's because they were lazy and they wanted to make it easier to cast in the future, Mm -hmm. right? And they wanted to make it more licensable. And they wanted to just position Lauren for an award. And, you know, from what I've heard, she is great in the show. But it just feels even more insulting in a way that, like, it was treated as a throwaway piece. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think it would be, it's not better, but it would mean a lot more if this was a conscious choice and like trying to eliminate that identity because they were worried that that identity would create a backlash. But I, I don't even think that's the case. I think they just don't care. Yeah. I think they were maybe worried about a backlash if they had been more specific and made the character non-binary and still kept Lauren Patton because mm-hmm. they think they knew that wasn't okay. Right. But, and they didn't want to deal with that too. I don't know. Like this show wasn't really on my radar at all because there was that New York Times article about how it's the most radical show on Broadway or something. And biggest eye roll. 
because like I don't think <laughs> the most radical show on Broadway can be written by cis straight white women and centered around a white family with like a token black adoptee. And like, yeah, I went in mostly looking at the adoptee story, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. Saying like the most radical show on Broadway is saying like the best Indian food at McDonald's. <laughs> like it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't even work. Yeah. And I know I just see the future of like, like we can't wait to take this on the road, but what will the people in name your city, think of this character, Mm -hmm. you know, so let's just fix it now. Fix air quotes. But like also this, it was going to exist in the same world that Mrs. Doubtfire was going to exist. Yeah. So like we, yeah, I don't know. Broadway's not even happening and I'm frustrated with it. Yeah. And I was so excited about the ensemble and I'm like, cool, this is awesome that like they do have a pretty diverse cast. And then I'm like, oh, they don't speak or like have a role. They just add background ambience like mm-hmm. that's that's not what we want either goes like back to what maybe was saying in our recent episode of like here's an easy way to check this box and not really have to work too hard to do it mm-hmm. it's yeah yeah and i think like the fastest way to kill an alanis morissette song is to have like a middle-aged white man in the suburb sing it <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh... So true. I mean, they they can fix it. That's the thing is like, it's not too late for them to try to not fix it completely, but it's not too late for them to turn it around. Mm -hmm. But will they do it? Definitely not. I don't know. I think if enough people were vocal about how upset they are about it, like, I think they would have no choice or at least respond to it, you know, like take some kind of accountability, which they're completely not doing right now. And the key thing there is not enough people, enough ticket buyers are vocal mm-hmm. about how upset they are. Because that show was, from what I understood, was pretty like theater fan like mm. world. And theater fans are super queer. So <laughs> if you're going to lose that favor, like good luck filling lottery seats on a dead night, you know, it, I, I think there's a overall bigger conversation we can have about, which I like partially wrote my thesis on not taking fans <laughs> seriously as financial contributors to a show's success. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think this is just categorizing the whole entire queer community is not necessary for a financial success of a show. Yeah. And this reminds me, I just saw an article that was like a capitalistic case for Broadway and it made me want to scream and throw up. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a year of us not having to rant about actual show content because there really haven't been that many shows. I know. I think this is like the first rant we've had on the podcast, but this is what we talk about most times when we're alone. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. So send us your thoughts on uh, the Jaggy Little Pill situation. So – the show we were able to see a couple of weeks ago was um, in the Ars Nova Vision Residency of the Women, created by L. Morgan Lee and Raja Feather Kelly. And that featured works by Kirsten Childs, uh, Lady Dane Figueroa Aditi, Donetta Lavinia Grays, Kristen Choi Johnson, Bianca Lee, Carmen LeBeau, and Nia Witherspoon. And then Raja Feather Kelly directed it as well. Yeah, and this was... The, the format of it was eight short pieces, uh, split up into four pieces in act one, four pieces in act two. And from what we, what we're guessing, it seems like most of them were written during the pandemic, but 
Don't know that for sure. <laughs> a couple of them definitely seem like they were formatted specifically for the pandemic. Yeah. So. I think that's what was so fun about these was that you didn't know what the world would be from scene to scene, from piece to piece. So it seemed like some of them it felt like, oh, that was written to be done in person in the same room. And then some of them you realize, oh, this was actually meant to be done over Zoom. Um, and so when they started using like filters and people would reference <laughs> the filters, like this, my little pony unicorn, um, was incredible and such a fun surprise. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. When that came on screen, I was just like, oh, this is where we're going with this piece and I'm not <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> and the, my little pony was like, basically like a glorified Avon lady, yeah. which was just, <laughs> There's so much to that. That was a fun one for sure. Yeah. I really loved the, just the the width. Like if they prompted the writers with like, oh, write a piece about what the experience of being a woman is. They really got such a huge range of topics, experiences, tone um, that made the evening really enjoyable and and enthralling um, from like, yeah, ridiculous My Little Pony things to some very, very heavy te- uh, topics on around sexual assault. And I think w- one of my favorite pieces was called Pretty Fine by Donetta Lavinia Graves. And it started with these two women and you think they're talking about the concept of pretty and what that concept has done to and for them or against them. And then as it goes on, you realize, oh, they're talking about like a personification of pretty, like a person named pretty. And, and then as they go on, they talk about more characters like Dapper and Fine and they all have relationships. And, um, it was so, it was a piece that I'm like, oh, I want to read this. So I fully understand like the deeper meanings behind all the characters and their names. And I also want to make myself like a spreadsheet chart of what all their relationships are. Totally. Yeah. A nice flow chart. Yeah. Yeah. They, there was a lot of relationships covered in a very short piece. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, the, the poetic language of it was just really beautiful. And I had a note, um, here at the end when they're, they're kind of like making amends. And then the final moment of the piece that we saw is the stage direction. They kiss being read. And I was just like a full body chill. So I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. This is beautiful. Um, I, I need more of this world. It was, it was so well done. I'm curious, like, how long it took them to film these, because there's some, like, really intense character shifts that happen, and I can't imagine going right from, like, christening with Kristoff, which is a a Bachelor parody, into, like, pretty fine, fine pretty, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty extreme. Yeah, so different. And there were costume changes and hair changes, yeah. I'm glad that they were pre-recorded, and so we got, like, the full kind of effect of each piece. Yeah, for sure. And the, the christening with Kristoff piece was just, if, if nothing else, I hope that surfaces somewhere so listeners can see it because again, the filter acting was yeah. fantastic. Now I never <laughs> want to see it without the filters. Those characters, they needed these like Barbie filtered gigantic anime eye thing happening. Um, and mm-hmm. then one of them, Jordan, who also plays the My Little Pony, um, gets to play a Barbie doll. Um, <laughs> Jordan got all the wacky parts in this show. (laughs) Also plays a child. (laughs) Good for that though. Uh. Yeah, it it, it was really well done. I feel like The Bachelor itself is only a season away from putting filters on its 
on the people in it. So this is, this might be a prediction by L Morgan. True. True. Um, speaking of L Morgan, like what an incredible showcase for her. Like I think she's in every single piece, an incredible range of comedy and drama. We knew she had the voice of an angel, but now we also oh, yeah. know like what an incredible actor. Comedy, drama, everything in between. Mm-hmm. She can do it. Oh, it's and can amazing. we have to talk about queer single parenting by Carmen? Oh, Lebeau. we do. Hot. Yes. So steamy. I was fanning myself. Yeah. yeah. L. Morgan is an influencer and the founder of a vegan hair care line <laughs> who is on a video interview for a personal chef that she's trying to hire. Um, and it's slow, not slowly, pretty rapidly turns into more of, more of a date situation. <laughs> and, um, the like rapid fire, like 21 question style, uh-huh. like getting to know you. And I was like, whew, this is. All the while her, like, kid played by Jordan is screaming in the background. <laughs> I, I mean, as a early, mid-30-something, I really appreciate the straight-to-the-point, like, hey, do you have a job? What are your interests? Where do you want to be in five years? That just, like, straight-to-the-point mentality. Yeah, just like a hot boss lady top mm-hmm. moment. It was, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> Such great chemistry. Mm-hmm. And then I think, like, kind of that, other end of that spectrum in what I learned of tears written by Lady Dane. What an incredible way to finish the evening. Um, it's, it's a scene of two trans sisters who are in the process of losing their mother and also takes place now and is kind of them processing what has been the last year and um, what quarantining and the pandemic has meant for them, their two black trans women, what that has meant in the, in the wake of like the racial uprisings uh, and the black lives matter movement. And even though like, that's not my experience, like I understood so much of what they were saying around the pandemic and just like, especially the, the guilt of feeling depressed, like, how, how can I feel so terrible? I'm alive and I have housing and I have all these privileges, but like, yeah, why do I still feel so sad? Yeah. It was, it was very cathartic, even though it wasn't, it wasn't written for me. It wasn't written about me, but it was, uh, I still felt very grateful to be able to experience it. And, um, it was interesting to me too, at, at the end when they were doing a little like afterward, conversation on Morgan said that piece was really personal. And I, I liked hearing those two characters were both creators and kind of like the struggle of being creative um, during the past year and a half. And like the pressure is put on you by the outside world and the keeping up appearances of continuing to be a creator, a writer, uh, that just felt very real too. like anticipating the return of the quote unquote real world and trying to like prepare yourself for that mm-hmm. when we're all going through similar things, you know, there's not really, I don't know, arguably there's not really a need for that. I would say. Yeah. But I also noted for this lady Dane's stage directions are just gorgeous. So it was as much as I want to see this piece in the real world, it was a special thing to experience it where the stage directions had to be read because there was a lot of, of poetry and, and nuance there that we would have missed out on if we, if we had seen it live. Yeah. But yeah, in that world as well, um, the piece, The Sanctuary, was another piece that dealt with some 
heavier issues of uh, rape, sexual assault, death, and um, the way that it was done. Again, I think over this platform was was unique. I'm not even sure how that would have been staged in because it was like the voices of ancestors talking to the main character. And uh, there is kind of like a ghostly otherworldly quality sometimes of talking to people on Zoom that I think worked really well for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that piece. Uh, and I'm glad that they went there with it because unfortunately it is a large part of the experience of women, or at least it's like in the back of your mind, I think um, that that is a huge part of our world. And I don't even yeah. identify as a woman anymore. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of identities of characters in the plays, it was, it was interesting to see that um, there was only really, at least from what we could tell, there's only really one piece ahead uh, explicitly. The characters were trans women and mm-hmm. the other characters all just seemed to be like women identifying Mm-hmm. roles there it wasn't really tailor-made for that so that was that was cool to see as well yeah i mean let's get a broadway production of the show called the women where only trans women are cast like yes, how please. incredible would that be it's <laughs> the only way that show should happen right honestly, right now <laughs> yeah. but i would love to see this as an ongoing like salon that l morgan hosts i would love a yearly the women of like okay here's what's happening now yeah like here's <laughs> here's what we have to talk about because i'm sure these would continue to change and and grow even over the next couple months if it was in development mm-hmm. yeah please produce this we can't wait to see it again <laughs> yeah and everyone should if you haven't already just follow l morgan because she's doing so much and it's all incredible mm-hmm. <laughs> just just follow her So this week's action of the week, we are amplifying the March on Broadway demands, and we want to uplift the six demands that they've listed at this time, which are to shut Scott Rudin out of the Broadway League, a full list of organizations that Actors' Equity is working with to help Black, Indigenous, and people of color feel safer. I actually think they did release that recently because of the work that these folks are doing, a full report on how the 2019 to 2020 equity dues were spent and what percentage was spent to help conversations around diversity, uh, achieve greater inclusion for trans and non-binary artists. Yes, please. Visibility on how the National Council votes for policies. And we also want efforts to improve diversity within the council. And the last one is to achieve greater inclusion and accessibility for deaf and disabled artists. They're asking in their demands for folks to email people and Instagram and tweet at Actors Equity and the other folks that they're demanding these things from. So you can follow them on their social media images. It has the handles at random black girl with four L's at the end and at 50 mile run for justice protest. And we'll link those in our show notes. So this is as of April 22nd, there might be new demands or new actions to take since this date. So please follow them to make sure you're up on the latest. With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And today, for the first time in this podcast history, we are sitting down with two guests, musical theater creators Kit Yan and Melissa Lee. Kit Yan and Melissa Lee are a queer Asian American musical theater writing team based in New York City. They are the winners of the 2021 Clavin Award and the 2019 Vivace Award, 2019 Dramatist Guild Foundation Fellows, McDowell Colony Fellows, Lincoln Center Writers in Residence, and 2019 to 2020 Musical Theater Factory Makers. Their works include Interstate, which had its world premiere in March 2020 at Mixed Blood Theater and won Best Lyrics at the 2018 New York Musical Festival, and Misstep, which was commissioned by the Fifth Avenue Theater's first draft program and won a 2019 Vivace Award from the Brett Adams and Paul Reich Foundation. Most recently, they completed a one-act musical called Cancelled, a commission by Keen Company. Their work has been supported by the Fifth Avenue Theater, Playwrights Horizons, Weston Playhouse, New York Rep., Good Speed Musicals, Johnny Mercer Colony, The Village Theater, Musical Theater Factory, Dixon Place, and many others. Well, first off, Kit, Melissa, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you here. Um, we like to start with just sharing name, pronouns, and anything else you'd like to share about how you identify. Sure. My name is Melissa Lee. Uh, I use she, her pronouns, and I identify as a queer Asian American. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Kit Yan. And I use they, she, and he pronouns. I identify as a queer, uh, Asian, yellow American, and I'm also from Hawaii. Awesome. I'm so excited you're both here. And before we get into talking about your theater work, I know we wanted to address uh, the alarming recent surge of anti-Asian hate crimes. And although we know violence against the AAPI community is not new, especially in this country, um, how are you hoping that folks will support our people at this time? Well, thanks so much for having us and thanks for um, setting setting up sort of the, the temperature of America at the moment. You know, we're in like a certainly a complex time. Um, there have been an increase in anti-Asian violence and assaults, and that has been really disturbing to us. Um, it feels very interconnected to the uh, other movements that are happening in the country. It feels very connected to racism in America in general, um, Black Lives Matter. Um, it feels really connected to um, issues that face our communities with regards to uh, folks um, in our community being undocumented, sex workers, poor, working class, um, people's bodies um, being um, treated as uh, less valuable. And so it, uh, all of the things that exist in this world, um, including, you know, ableism, misogyny, sexism, it, they all feel really tied to this moment. And, um, and certainly like the xenophobia of this time has, has manifested in some of these like horrific um, crimes. And, and so uh, it, it feels important to address the the entire wave. 
Yeah. And I think like, I think what's happening is it's, it's so large of a topic. I mean, we could spend like hours talking about just the topic itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's, it's so vast in terms of how to address and how to fix, you know, from, from politics to, to media, to, um, to just, just everything really. Um, but really the only thing that I guess in our field as artists, um, you know, we can really only speak to sort of the arts industry and, and what that looks like in terms of addressing this violence is really representation. And it's really about, you know, letting, letting, uh, folks of color tell their own stories. And I think that's really only a small piece of, of the puzzle. Um, but it is an important piece and, um, and one that we care very passionately about. Absolutely. And certainly in our own activism, we, you know, we certainly encourage folks to support um, organizations out there doing great work um, in supporting people working against racism, uh, people working for rights for folks who are um, sex workers, domestic workers, working class folks, healthcare, and, and all of that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I really think like the revolution starts at home and people and including ourselves, um, you know, we try our best to practice uh, in our daily lives the kind of things that we write about and, and examine the ways in which we are um, people in this world and how we uh, contribute uh, and, and fight and those sorts of things that are really important to us to do in our just like regular interactions and, and practices in life. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I think anti-racism work really starts with ourselves and the internal work that we all have to do to unlearn, demechanize, and keep growing in this work and challenging ourselves every day. Um, but yeah, thank you for all that you said. Yeah, thank you so much. So we wanted to start talking about um, your partnership. And as as we start this conversation, our first question is, how do your different artistic backgrounds feed your partnership? And what are the big learnings that you've received from each other in your journey together? Yeah, uh, well, Kit and I, we have been working together for many, many years now. I don't know if you know sort of our origin story but you know we met in Boston when I was a singer songwriter and Kit was a spoken word artist and um and we were just like two young people with like I don't know with like just a dream of like going out on the road and Kit approached me in the back of like a a, a drag bar at a, a monthly queer Asian cabaret that we were performing at and was just like, you want to quit your job and go on tour? I was like, sure. And, um, and so, you know, so really our journey started, um, with us being performers and, and learning. I guess we weren't even really friends then, but like our friendship developing on the road, learning how to be collaborators. Um, and, um, and I think, you know, that's shifted over time because now we, we write together for a living now it's like actually we have to we have to do it and and um yeah i don't know i don't know kit if if you want to chime in about sort of how our collaboration has developed yeah. over the years yeah it, it's been um it's been really wonderful to to grow together as creative partners over the last you know we've been writing together over a decade now wow and at this point in our careers, we were full-time writers. We write for the stage. We write for the screen. We write for audio. Um, we've got our hands in a lot of different projects. Um, we're juggling a lot of balls at the moment, which has been really fun to do. 
Um, every new project flexes a different creative muscle. And, um, you know, we often talk about our, our backgrounds as like a singer songwriter and a poet, but also like we studied radically different things than we're doing. Well, maybe not you, Melissa, but I did. <laughs> you, at, you at least studied something artistic. I did. <laughs> Get went to business school. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa went to film school. And, and then, uh, Melissa worked in tech for a, a little bit and, um, I worked in like uh, affordable housing development and those, and, and, and I sold insurance. Oh, and I sold knives. <laughs> oh, you did sell knives when you were oh, a youngin. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, all those that. experiences really shaped who we are and how we come out of it. Yeah. And I, and let me just add one thing to, about this is that like, what has been great about our collaboration is, and, and I do think that some, other collaborators like the people who are looking to collaborate don't always know this is that you don't have to do everything in a collaboration i mean what makes it work is that like we know coming in especially now that we've been working together for over 10 years is that like we know where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are right and where to sort of pass the baton and where to like take over control and i think that's what makes it work for us i think we've at this point gotten to a rhythm where we're like okay you take that it seems like totally your wheelhouse or like oh i think i'm gonna take this because i have like a vision of how this is gonna be um and so that's worked really well for us yeah and at, at this point too it you know what i've that we've done recently is like we've taken things and um parsed them out by what we want to do like areas we want to grow in or things that seem fun or like if uh, a couple of years ago, I, I, I wanted to help with lyrics, which I never did before. And Melissa was really kind enough to kind of hold my hand through how to, <laughs> how to tell a story through lyrics and that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's been kind of cool to grow in terms of um, also just taking uh, what we, we want to try our hand in. That sounds like an amazing partnership that you get to really focus on what you want and, uh, and hopefully, you know, you balance each other out where hopefully there's nothing that no one wants to do or hates doing. <laughs> Was there a moment when you first realized that you would be great collaborators? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I have a different <laughs> – okay, in our collaboration, Kit's always the one who says yes to everything. I'm the one who always says no to everything. <laughs> so that's not a great question for me to answer because – <laughs> because uh, because I, I feel like it was like, oh, okay, this guy's pretty cool. Like, okay, we're doing this thing together. You know, it'll probably end in a year or two. <laughs> and then I can move on with my life and, and look at me now like a decade later. So I, I don't know if I'm a good person to answer this. <laughs> I I think we maybe it, we went on the road because we liked each other as friends and we thought it would be fun. And then I feel like only in the last few years we found our rhythm as, as like collaborators. Yeah. And we've gotten to know each other and um, we know where to spend our energy and how to sort of like check in with each other as, as like writing partners, but also as people too. I feel like there were a couple of years where we kind of forgot to like check in with each other as people because mm. we were just mm -hmm. too focused on making the project happen and it like burnt us out. And then we're like, wait a second we have to do the other thing first <laughs> and and then we can create. That's a good reminder. It's a good reminder for Holly and I as well. Yeah. 
we did a, a little dive into the good Asian drivers YouTube past and it, there was um, one of the songs where you talked about your friendship and how different you are, but why you work well together. And it was so adorable and you both look so much younger, although you still look amazing and youthful, but <laughs> uh, it was, it was really lovely Thank to you. see. <laughs> so your musical interstate is loosely based on your experience of touring the country together with your band, good Asian drivers. Uh, how did the reactions from the community you found on the road and online impact you and your work? Yeah, I think first thing is that, you know, when we started writing this, we weren't like, we are going to be musical theater writers and we're going to write like a show that goes to Broadway and it's going to make us famous. <laughs> you know, like I think that wasn't what we set out to do. I think when what we set out to do, I mean, I don't know how familiar I, I you know, you, you all probably haven't seen the show yet. But like in its entirety. Yeah. So yeah, so the show is is loosely based on on the adventures that we had on the road. And, you know, things didn't go well, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> while we were on the road, and we, we had a huge falling out. And part of it was, um, and so part of writing it was um, healing for us. It was sort of us going back through our journey and our friendship and trying to find meaning in it, trying to understand it, trying to heal from it. So, so that first of all was, we started doing that. And then as we started writing, um, we really have our communities in mind when we were on the road, those two years, we went through over 32 states, right? We, we traveled for like weeks and weeks and we met so many folks out there that are part of our community, that queer folks, trans folks, POC, like all of that, um, that we didn't know were out there. And so those folks actually still, um, still sort of follow us like to this day and like what we're up to. And those were the folks who came to see interstate when it was up at uh, the New York musical festival in 2018. Um, those are the folks that we write for and who support us every step of the way. That's awesome. And can you guys talk a little bit about, especially traveling to so many different States at that time, what was it like? Was there any pressure in being one of the only or one of the few um, queer Asian representations at the time? You know, what's funny is that um, we didn't think too hard about that when we set out to go on the road. We're, we write about ourselves a lot. We are very forward about being queer and Asian and we write songs that are have like um, adult language and content and that sort of thing. And so um, we just went out to like share our art and to hear other people's art and stories. And as we went on tour, people did expect from us um, that we represented like our communities. And that's, that was something that was really new as we set out on the road, um, like the media and interviews and people would write us up quite a bit back then and talk about our identities and, and that sort of thing. And I, I would say that might be one of the things that actually broke the tour down is the pressure to represent and the pressure to to be exceptional or sensational or representative mm -hmm. uh, when we just wanted to be ourselves. And, um, and that, it, it felt like a lot. It felt like a weight. Um, now, now in our work, we know that like it, with the stage comes great responsibility as well, that it's like, it's our jobs to, to go out and it's our craft to go out there and 
to tell our, our story and be ourselves, but that when we do that, um, in the context of the moment, the, the world, the theater, the audience, it, we know it lands a certain way now. And so we're highly conscious of, of the whole picture. Um, and that's something that took, just took some time for us to learn to figure out is, is where we, where we fit into the puzzle and what we wanted to do. Yeah. And a lot of that is maturity too, I think, right? Like, I think when we were on the road, we were in our early twenties and, you know, we were figuring out ourselves who we were. Right. And so now we're, you know, like we had this label on us. We were like queer, really Asian. we have to write like queer and Asian songs. And then it just felt like it was like an identity that was put on to us. Right. We're not now, I feel like we're older and we're, more sure of ourselves as people and then so then we could be really deliberate with the kind of art that we put out in the world without feeling um, beholden to it Mm -hmm. yeah I I wish I had found you all when I was younger and had uh, that representation but yeah I totally understand that pressure and it's so unfair right because folks who are more represented don't have to deal with that how have you seen representation change then and how can we keep the door open for more folks to follow yeah, I, I can, I feel like we can really only, sp- we can speak to our personal practices. And I, I do think we started out when the internet, like virality was kind of new. And so with, with uh, social media and more access to, um, to the web, people have certainly like been able to exchange information and see each other faster. And that, that was that. I think has changed representation because you don't need a theater to produce you. You don't need a TV show to produce you. You just need to turn your camera on, on your computer in order to like be seen. Um, and, and that I think has, has sort of changed the game in in people's voices being heard. Um, that being said, you know, people are still not getting produced um, equally at all. And it, it's certainly a tough landscape to navigate still. Um, but for us, we try to we try to see the whole picture. And us writing the story is like a very small sliver of the whole like puzzle. Right? We write the story, but then there's so many people that need to make it happen, uh, including the I think what people think about next are like the actors, and they talk about representation. But it's much more than that. I think real change is systemic in our field. And it has to, you know, the actors bear a great, um, like, load in terms of representing the story. Um, and then who's telling the story and writing the story is, like, is important. And then who's producing it and who's working on it. So when you saw the show in 2018 uh, in a workshop form, it was... Uh, it took a, a team of maybe 40 people of designers, producers, um, assistants, and then the actors and us and all, all the people involved. And we had almost an entirely uh, women, POC, queer team of, of folks working on the show. And all of their voices are incredibly important. It's We try to create an environment where everyone can add to the piece in their own unique way. And everyone has the agency to say something that's, uh, if it's important to them, um, to add to the piece. Uh, and, and, you know, we, that was our first time doing it. So certainly imperfect. 
we we learned a lot throughout the the process but um that is something we try to carry through the creation process is is making sure that the the behind the scenes reflects the stage what's on stage and that the stage reflects what's in the world and speaking of one element of that very big team that you were just discussing, uh, one of the characters in Interstate is Henry, a 16-year-old South Asian trans boy living in Kentucky. Can you tell us about the process you went through to find appropriate actors for this role? Yeah, um, I was actually just going to say, like, you know, it, I mean, in reference to also the last question about seeing representation change, I, I think I think there has been a change, you know, in the last several years. Um, and particularly in film and TV, I think we're seeing, and thanks of course to the activists and the folks that are speaking out, like that now it's, it's not appropriate, right. For, for like a cis person to like play a trans character. And, you know, I feel like only like, oh, even just like a few years ago, I feel like folks were still doing that right on transparent and other shows. Um, and now, you know, there's just so much more representation. And so we had sort of a similar journey for interstate as well. Um, and one of those things was that, you know, it, from the beginning, when we started working on this nine years ago, folks have told us that this was going to be immensely hard to cast. And I think in their minds, they're like, well, you know, like who's, who can, who is out there, right? Like who can play this very specific role? Um, you know, and, and, uh, and every time we did a reading, you know, casting directors would, would come up to us and be like, okay, well, we can find someone who is like South Asian, but we have like a white person who could play this role. Can this role be white? Or like, you know, we, uh, we don't have somebody who is trans, but we have a bunch of, you know, cis, you know, female actors that could play this, you know, uh, who are, who are South Asian. And so, um, you know, when we did the New York Musical Festival, I think we were just saying like, okay, screw it. Like instead of spending the budget on a casting director who will probably say the same thing to us, like let's just take the time and do it ourselves. I mean, it's the same sort of the same principle that we had when we went out on the road as good Asian drivers all those years ago where we were just like, okay, no one's going to put us on stage. We'll just go. So it's the same thing. It's like, no one's going to cast our show. We'll just do it. So, um, so I actually looked at every single drama program in the country, every single musical theater program in the country, arts camp, arts high school, queer group, you know, and just emailed everybody and was like, this is the breakdown for a 16 year old, like trans kid, you know, who is South Asian. If you find that person, let us know, like we will fly them here. We will give them an equity card, you know, like <laughs> we will make this happen. And, um, and out of that, it were like 20 plus like uh, folks that auditioned for Henry. And from there, we found our amazing star, Sushma Saha, who has been with us since 2018. Um, and so, you know, I always say like, it's not about that. It's not out there. It is just, you just have to put in the work to do it. And so worth it. Thinking about the parental storylines in Interstate, you've also talked about how Asian American communities seem more reluctant to reject their families after coming out and how that's a very Western narrative. And has that translated to, for you and how you engage with the, the quote unquote family of the theater community, uh, which is majority cis white folks? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've been thinking about that a lot, a lot lately. Um, and we, we certainly discussed that a whole bunch as we work together. Um, it is important. I, 
I do think that for a lot of folks in our communities of, of Asians and Asian Americans that our families of origin are really important. Um, and, and people want to stay together. We're, we're talking about people who have like, maybe their families are not in this country or maybe um, their families are all over the place. And, you know, they, maybe folks uh, are at different um points of like documentation and you know staying together is like very important to a lot of people and in order to do that sometimes I think folks make difficult decisions and so uh, it's important for for the families in our show to to center uh, the relationship they have with each other as they navigate the tough things that are happening in their lives and not just the kids like, I think oftentimes, too, the narrative is really skewed towards the American queer narrative is skewed towards the individual, and then it's skewed towards the child. And oftentimes, if you look at the family unit, everyone's got shit going on, like, the parents are dealing with things and, um, you know, trying to keep the family together and trying to do the best for their kids. And it's, it's really important for us to, to, again, just see the whole picture of what's happening in a family. I it's very, very, very difficult, but I have had a lot of tough conversations with my family and uh, I try not to be silent even if I know the topic is hard. And so, and even if we don't literally speak the same language, if we're navigating the conversation in Chinese and English or sometimes like Japanese, we're, it, it's important for me to still go there um, because uh, it's important for for me to be on the same page um, as as my family in terms of like working working through something because I think that opens the door for them to be honest and open with me too, so that I know what's going on in their lives and I know what what is happening in our family unit. An interesting thing that's sort of related and related to the parental dynamics in interstate is that a lot of folks have come out up to us. And have mentioned like, oh, like Dash's dad is like really supportive of him being trans. Like that doesn't feel real. And it's actually, it's actually weirdly like white people that have said that to us. And, um, and you know, and, and I think, and, you know, and, and I, and we've gotten the feedback that's like, oh, are you sure there wouldn't be more conflict there? And, and I think part of it is showing also that there are many different family dynamics out there. Like we are not like homogenous. There's not like one response to someone coming out as trans or queer. Right. And I think what a fun dynamic for us to play with in interstate too is that like, that like he's trans and he moves through the world, um, in and a lot of things are difficult for him as he moves through the world but his family dynamic is not one of those things right and and so that's that's also interesting to play against like the adrian character whose parents are less supportive of uh, her queerness um but she moves through the world as a cis woman so um so yeah so that's just a, an interesting thing that we like to explore yeah and they're based in reality i mean they're they mirror yes they mirror our families <laughs> They do. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Thinking about that, then how how does that translate to? Do you think of the theater community as a family, and how do you have those hard conversations with them? Oh yes, part two of the question. <laughs> okay, so we have we do think about that a lot too, um, because like you said, uh, 
the theater particularly is dominated by uh, straight, white, cis voices. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, like, it's really hard to make a musical. Like, every musical is just takes so much effort. It takes like, it, it's taken up almost a decade of our lives now. And so, it's, wow. you know, it's, I don't know why anyone does musicals. <laughs> don't make musicals. <laughs> Don't listen to that. We need them. <laughs> you want to. If, you want, if you want to sign up for a nice long ride, go for it. Um, and you know, we're on our second musical at the moment. And so we, we certainly signed up again to do it. Um, but the, the community is really expansive. And for us, it's about opening the door for more people to participate in this world. And so we try to, um, seek folks who want to to come on these long journeys with us um who are who maybe they have not maybe they're at like the beginning of their careers it's it's important for us to acknowledge that a lot of the audiences uh in the commercial sphere of this are older folks and you know it in our culture it's very you don't abandon your elders, even if they're not like in your family. And so while sometimes those people are part of the problem, it is like our job to open up the conversation. And we always say like, our show has universal themes, but it's not for everyone. Like if, if you come to our show, you, you are expected to like potentially sit in discomfort. We want people to have a conversation with the people next to them we want people to leave the theater, like talking to each other. Um, and, and we expect our audiences to be like respectful of the community they are, they are sitting with. And, um, and so like, they don't have to come to our show. You have to buy a ticket. So you don't have to buy that ticket. We don't need your money. It's okay. There is somebody else who wants to sit there <laughs> like very enthusiastically. And so, it, yeah, we, we always say like, we, we welcome all. But um, we really ask that folks be bring their best, most open-minded, respectful, um, joyous selves to participate in a community experience. And speaking of your other musical adventure, uh, Misstep sounds like such a queer, fun party <laughs> that we all want to go to. Can you describe it to our listeners? Misstep is basically our antidote to having worked on Interstate for nine years, basically. <laughs> Um, it's a 80s dance aerobics musical. <laughs> it's an 80s dance aerobics musical with, um, an entirely trans lead cast. So it is about Pam, a, wo- a middle-aged woman named Pam who, uh, considers herself unremark, an unremarkable trans woman who works, uh, at, in the toll booth in the New Jersey Turnpike. Um, her father passes away and she has her strange father passed away. She has to go back home to, you know, a suburb of Illinois where, um, she finds out that not only was he gay, he was an aspiring, um, an aspiring aerobics competitor. And so in an effort to connect with her father, who she never knew, she assembles a ragtag group of trans friends to compete in the 2021, well, 22, maybe 22, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, 
Diamond Delight Midwestern Regional Aerobics Competition. <laughs> it's perfect. Wow. <laughs> so. I cannot wait to see this. Um, it's a drama. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And how did queer community in, inspire elements of the show? Well, you know, after Interstate, I, I like – it's so funny, Melissa, you said it was the antidote – because we spent almost a decade just doing a lot of self-reflection, telling a very personal story, just doing deep dives into our emotional landscapes. And then we needed a little break, but also um, the show is largely about grief. It's about the passing of a, a parent. And uh, again, uh, our, we're sort of in the world of talking about families and how, how people handle um, tough situations that, that come up because that, that's life. Um, and so we're really inspired by, um, queer family and making queer family like Pam, Pam's estranged father dies, but his, her estranged father is a, a gay man who has a sort of a secret husband. Um, and then, and then a not so, and then he becomes a not so secret husband and, <laughs> and it, it's, we sort of, ex, we sort of examine, um, this whole world of aerobics, um, under you know with, with through through her dad this like gay man who is trying to just like accomplish something really fun in his life it it certainly is inspired by like us hearing during interstate like whoa from producers and uh, artistic directors like like wow can you the the Interstate is so complex. Like, can you tell a more one-on-one story or can you like explain some trans stuff to us or can it be a little more basic? And then we've also heard from people like, wow, Interstate has two trans characters. That's, that's just one is okay, but like two is a lot. So we're like, you know what? We're going to do five. 12. Yeah. <laughs> step. yeah. And then, then the amazing. So then there'll be a dozen trans people on stage. And so it, you know, it's our attempt to sort of say like, look, we're not going to explain anything to you. Again, the shows have universal themes, but they're not for everyone. You don't have to come. If you're <laughs> not willing to like Google something or sit next to a trans person and have like a cordial conversation and learn something, you just, you don't have to come. Um, and so it, it's our attempt to sort of like ask our audience um, to be on this journey with us. And then for us to actually assume the best and most intelligence of our audience to say like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to dive into this super, super trans queer, joyous world. Um, like come with us and, and let's, let's do that together. Yeah. And for us, it's really important to, to finally have a show where like a tr trans person can like, just feel like a human. And that doesn't mean like, being the hero or being the victim, right? Like it's, it's actually just being a human means this isn't this lady who's trans is actually unremarkable, but she's remarkable because she's Pam, you know? So, so I think like, um, showing the really bo the boringness of just being a trans person, <laughs> I think, uh, is something that folks want to see. Absolutely. I think you can tell from how much we're all uh, laughing along with this part that there's so, sounds like there's so much joy in this piece. So we were hoping you could talk about how you bring queer joy into your work and how we can all bring it more into our pandemic lives, which we so greatly need. I think it comes from Kip being 
just a really happy person. <laughs> They're like, what? Why are all these sad trans stories out there when honestly, Kit's the happiest person I know. So <laughs> why don't we put that on stage? Well, you, you like to have a lot of fun too. And you love, to, yeah, I have a lot of fun. You love to go on vacation. You like to hang around with your cat. <laughs> I do. You know, I, I think it's, I think as queer folks, as trans folks, as people of color, it's really important not just to survive, but also to like thrive and like enjoy yourselves and live your best life. I think that's so key to, um, I don't know, to like existing and like being building community and all of that. So in order to do the work that we do, we have to like take care of ourselves. And that's really important to us. Yeah. the And the hard stuff, like there's certainly a lot of difficult things in our queer histories. And that is super important um, for us to both address and for us to like remember as we as we try to find queer joy um, is to acknowledge like the the roads the pathways before us. And um, I think for us when writing stories that center queer joy, we actually have to put it into practice. So it starts in the collaboration and it starts in the rehearsal room. I think for us it starts with like. You know, we don't want to work all the time. Who wants to do that? We don't want to suffer for our art. Like, we we really try to, like, we take breaks. We try to meet people's bodies where they're at. We try to, like, see each other as whole people. And if we see each other as whole people, we realize, like, we need to be friends first. We need to make time to eat. If our cast is sharing a meal together and laughing and enjoying each other's company and getting to know each other, that's just as important as getting into the rehearsal room and, like, working on the show like we we try to um we try to live joyously and then i hope that that translates into our storytelling it sure sounds like it does and i can't wait to share more food with people hopefully soon <laughs> uh i think yes. we miss or at least i miss so much of the like interpersonal connecting you do around meetings and work when you know when you're done with your meeting it's just like zap you're gone um but we don't get to like take our trash to the trash can together and see how your day's going. And I miss that a lot. Um, yeah. And it's so important. Yeah. Switching over to kind of our final sections, the first one we call queering the canon. And so is there a musical or a story you grew up with that you would want to do a queer adaptation of? I think like stuff that like already feels like it's queer but like in the subtext need to leave the subtext and <laughs> be in the real text. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, I feel like Mulan's a queer story oh, yeah. and we like all know that, but nobody's made mm-hmm. it a, a, queer, a queer story yet. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for an actual gay Mulan. I was going to say the same thing. Were you really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Or like Wicked or something, you know, like we all know that's kind of gay. You know, Wicked is like kind of gay, but like, Definitely. you know, let's make it really gay. <laughs> Take it up a notch. I feel, I feel like there's probably a queer Mulan somewhere that we could find. It needs like a, to be like a fanfic. Amplified. Yeah. Oh, you know, there's a fanfic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. And then jumping over to queer culture rec. So outside of theater, what are some of your queer culture indulgences that you would like to share? Let's see. We're both reading the same book right now. Right, Melissa? Are you still reading it? Detransition. Yes, I introduced it. I just want to say I introduced it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't know if you finished or not. No, I haven't finished it. But we are reading Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's 
It's so good. We are also reading that book right now. Oh, really? <laughs> I haven't started it yet. It's so great. For the book club Holly started. Yeah. I'm only like a few pages in, but we'll have to check back in with you yeah, all. Yeah, we do. It we literally do. came in the mail for me today, so I'm very excited. Oh, that's so awesome. And then finally, our queer gives section. Um, I, you wanted to shout out the East West players. Is there anything you want to share about why you want folks to support them? Yeah, we're sort of wanted to lift up in this moment, um, Asian theater makers. East West players is, is one of America's leading Asian American theater companies. Uh, they've been around for, for a long time. And most recently they started a campaign, uh, to address some systemic racism in the way that uh, theaters receive awards in Los Angeles. And so we are certainly um, in support and alongside uh, all the work that they do in in our community as theater makers and then as Asian American theater makers. We, we just we just love the work they do. And I saw that that award organization disbanded. They announced that they're like closing today, I think. Yeah, I saw that too. I was wondering if it was like a like a timeout or like a <laughs> Mm. we're we're not coming back i i, I don't know it, it didn't seem super clear from the statement but you know theater could really use a timeout lately so that's <laughs> it seems like we're having some important conversations yeah yeah but i also think it's kind of ridiculous and really telling that when like organizations or institutions are just like get called out for racism they're like we don't know what to do we're just gonna shut down <laughs> you know like i i don't know like i feel like that's just not quit. like a good reaction yeah, either. No. <laughs> yeah. the harder thing to do seems to be to say sorry and then ask the right questions about how to change right <laughs> right yeah it gives a terrible impression that like nothing is able to be saved which is not true <laughs> so yes I, I mean i feel like we at the end of the day we're extremely like optimistic and hopeful people like we believe in like the good of of people to to change and to create like better and new societies and, and so I do hope that the theater um I mean we're kind of like on a global timeout at the moment but that when we come back we are having those important and tough conversations and that we're just seeing each other as people to check in with each other how are you doing and what can I do and how can we do this together those are those seem to be really important questions at the moment, um, regardless of theater making. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will need to re-listen to you saying that kit anytime that I'm feeling terrible about the state of theater. So I will play <laughs> back that optimism and just <laughs> have that on go. Um, but last but not least for more optimism and amazing news about your guys work. Um, how, how can we follow you online? Where are you guys at on the internet? Yeah. So, um, our, sh our show website is interstatemusical.com. Um, you could also find interstate like on Twitter or Instagram, interstate musical. Uh, my personal website is melissalee.com. My last name is spelled L-I. And I can be found everywhere at Melsabu, M-E-L-S-A-B-O-O. -O. And my website is kityanpoet.com. And I'm at kityan on all social media. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being here. Uh, we were so excited to, to have you on the show and, and talk to you today. Awesome. Thanks so much. For thank us. you. Thanks for having us. We can't wait to see your shows in person, <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> Thank you. Meet y'all someday, you. too. I am not one who would go to an aerobics class, but I would do it 
for you too. Yeah. <laughs> it's interactive. So definitely be prepared to do some aerobics when you see that show. Bring some active wear to that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be amazing if everyone did active wear to our show instead of like formal wear? Not that I'm formal. <laughs> Who wears formal wear though? You're like, grandpa, why are you wearing formal wear? <laughs> Bring the your theater. queerest leggings. Come with like gym bags and like the sweatpants. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like, please follow, rate, and review us and share us with your friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. We love to hear your queer culture recs and ideas for queering the canon. Send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and discussions on current theater. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. (laughs) I was going to make a joke. I was going to say, Melissa's handle is not Michelle Yee. (laughs) Oh my God. The number of times I get called Michelle or Yee. I think it's because your last name's Yan. I blame it on you, actually. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Michelle and Yee are great names. They're just not yours. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.